Jen Bosworth Ramirez. And I'm Gina Polici. We went to theater school together. We survived it, but we didn't quite understand it. 20 years later, we're digging deep, talking to our guests about their experiences and trying to make sense of it all. We survived theater school, and you will too. Are we famous yet? What's going on? Oh, wait, you're in a new, wait, you have a new thing in behind you. Yes, I am in my husband's office right now. Oh, oh at his office uh, away from the house? I, I am unwell. I am unwell. Oh, my God. I bet. Do you want to tell everybody what's happening? Everybody has COVID in my house. Do you have COVID? I, well, I'm not testing positive for it, but I have symptoms. And when I tell you I didn't sleep one wink last night, I mean, like, I didn't I, – this is a level of tired that I haven't felt since I had a newborn baby. I I, I, I think I took – I think I took – What? Daytime cough medicine last night. Yeah. Well, it said day or night. No, there's usually a difference. No, but it said oh. day or night. Like, but – I don't know. Wait, that doesn't make any sense. Okay, okay, because usually when they do that, beans they have they're like they just keep you a little away. No, no, yeah, they have two sets of pills. Is it was it syrup or pills? It was syrup. It was like a dulcim syrup, and it said night or night. Yeah, no, they had some kind of crack cocaine in there. It was a real surprise. It wasn't that your family was keeping you up. It was that. No, it was that, and uh, I didn't cough which was great, but I didn't sleep, like, not at all. But that's okay, because I watched The Staircase, the oh, new uh-huh. series. Tony Collette? Yes, yes. I think it's great, and it's way more interesting than the actual story. So, it is. yeah. How did well, achieve that? I don't know, but, like, I've seen 40 million documentaries on The Staircase, um, and uh, – this one was creepier and more compelling than any of the dice. Di- I mean, she's just so good. And like, she is so, so good. good. And so yeah. tell me what you think about the whole story itself. Like, where do you fall on the line of whether he was guilty or not? You know, here's the thing. Before I saw this version, I for sure thought he was guilty for sure. And now I don't know. I don't know. I, I am I am completely I what I don't know what do you think? Well, it's 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 the most uh, I don't have a word for it, but it it's the most of this thing I'm about to describe. It's the most. Oh, I definitely think it was not him. Oh, I definitely think it was him. Oh, I definitely think it right. was not him. <laughs> right, because every little twist and turn that comes up, it's like really. I think it is. I think the reason it is so vexing and perplexing is because it is a one in one Googleplex chance that the same person yes. would be there. For I don't think he killed her. I really don't think he killed her. But how? He but it's like, yeah, the lady in Europe and all that shit. It's like, wait a minute. He's so fucking unlucky. Or he's like evil and he just draws evil near him. I got to say, I mean, not like I know, but I, I don't get evil vibes from him. No. I really don't. I, I think he's like a nice guy. Who's like the, and if you watch interviews of the guy, like, you know, 
he had some weirdness. But here's the thing. You fucking interview my ass after something like they're gonna you're gonna be like, lock her up. She's fucking bonkers. So like you know what I mean? Like if they interviewed me and after something bad happened, like some God forbid something happened to Miles, right? And they're interviewing me and they listen, they go back and listen to our fucking podcast, they're gonna be like Oh, this is great. This is exact. I I totally wanted to ask you this. Like we're going to jail. Like, no, if we're going did. to jail. If you, for whatever reason, committed a heinous crime today and we were watching the docu-series about you, what would be the things that the audience would be going, see, she totally did it. Like, what would be your qualities? Well, I'm just thinking like how I evaded the law with my student loans and I was like, I have a lawyer. Um, How we talk about how like basically you should get away with basically anything you can get away with because we're in end stage capitalism. They're right. like, oh, she did it. Um, the way I talk shit about like my family, they're probably like, oh yeah, like she was, she had a traumatized childhood, so she's like getting revenge. Oh my god, it just oh, it, yeah, it never ends. Like, she snapped. She snapped. She, snapped. she couldn't take it. Oh my oh, god. My. Well, here's what people would say about me. Well, she was never very friendly. <laughs> <laughs> she was really pretty cold, actually. That's hilarious. And uh, people in my town would be like, I knew it. I knew there was something about her that I just didn't like. That's the kind of, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. Because you have this way of coming off like that, even though it's not, it, it is not, it is not, I don't see it like that now. But when you talk about it, I'm like, oh yeah, I could kind of see. Yeah. But not really. I don't know. It's that old thing of, you know, every, I used to always have the experience that people would say to me, when I first met you, I thought you were a real bitch, but now, you know, now oh, that I, I didn't get think that me, at all, but I think I met you when we were really young. <laughs> we were really young and I, and it just takes me a while to, to warm up to people. But anyway, um, yeah, check it out people. Yeah. If you haven't seen the staircase series, I mean, I watched the documentary too, but the series is it's much just more like compelling. it's more, more compelling and it's also just like art it's like the, the story itself the documentary is kind of boring you're like okay and then this guy in his vietnam history right and that yes. whole weirdness he lied so, about having a purple heart yeah i mean like that maybe that yeah that's when i was like oh he's no but he's just kind of a weird ego he has, he's got a low self-esteem he picks wives that are like uh, well the second one especially like high powered in some way I think, too, we underestimate, especially now, the impact of having to hide your sexual yeah. identity. Yeah. That it, I'll, I'll just say people who haven't done terrible things and have had to hide their sexual identity deserve a Purple Heart. Yeah. Because the aggression and the and the um, self-loathing and the frustration oh and the and the it must feel torturous just torturous and my heart breaks whenever i think about like the person who's just like this person who lived a hundred years ago right. and they were stoned to death or they or they just lived a life of total misery because they had to completely lie about themselves right. every single day all the life. time and to themselves to other people yeah i um yeah yeah I, I think that, yeah, his, his, um, and I also, the older I get, like the more I know why people lie about having brave or, or things it's because they want that. It's because look, they, 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 they feel that they have done that in some way, probably. 
I want a purple heart for having three kids. Right. I, 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 even though nobody made me do it, right. I, it was totally it my matter. decision. It doesn't matter. I, it's like we, we, being a human is hard. And I understand the wanting to, to get something for the, for the suffering or to be recognized and seen for the hardships in our life. Like I get that a hundred fucking percent. That's all we want in life. We just want to be seen yeah. and recognized yeah. for the for the challenges that we've overcome and the so effort true. That hey, let me run this by you. Yeah, yeah I can I can totally say that I booked a national. I won't say what the company is, but I booked a national commercial, which is fucking. Yay amazing and also hilarious. And I'm here to say, like I told my class, um, my class of two, my MFA students, um, I'm teaching them pilot writing and um, through Patrice. And I said, like, look, if I, as a 46 year old, half Latina, plus size lady can book two national commercials, like anything's possible. Like anything is possible. Cause they're, you know, especially because just as recently as last week, you're like acting is for the birds. <laughs> <laughs> well, the thing is, yeah, right. And I still, that still stands true. However, what I love about this, and this is why I think I love commercials because there's in SAG commercials, usually there's no lines, right? Like it's all improv or MOS now, um, whatever it's called, like motion over sound. People call it different things. I don't know. But anyway, no, no lines to memorize, which is great for my fear slash menopause brain fog. Um, it's all literally all about your look and vibe. Like, I don't know. There's like no, I, people are going to be like, she's a bitch, but like, there's no real talent involved. What it is, is your personality. It's like, do you have a personality that can work on with these people? So I knew that I had nailed it uh, because, and I was talking in therapy yesterday, like it doesn't always line up. Like usually if I'm lucky, this is how it goes. I go in, I do my best I'm petrified. That comes across a little bit. Sometimes I eek by in the callback, but don't usually book, right? Um, I never have had the experience, to be quite honest, of like nailing it and feeling great about that and not booking it. I usually book it when I feel like that. It's just so rare for me to feel like that. So I was like, I wonder if I felt like that all the time, if I would just book shit. I don't know how the universe works. I don't know. But I can tell you- you You do know because you know that because you got all on this other vibe that you were not trying to get on for a while. That's why things are coalesced. That's so true. Yeah, that's so true. But like I I don't um, I don't have like evidence to show that like you can feel really shitty about your audition and still book it every because every time I feel really shitty, I I do really shit like I don't book it. So you're, you're aware. I'm like hyper aware, but I knew it was a good sign when I got there and the casting director was there and she, my experience of casting in LA is that, um, uh, they are, it's not that they're jerks, but they have an air about them. The casting directors, not, not the actors necessarily, but like, they're usually like 50 year old blonde ladies or blonde dudes that are like in their fifties that really are tired of this. And I don't blame them. Like they're tired of the shit and I get it. But this woman, and I will just say her name because she's amazing. Her name is Jody Sonnenberg reminded me 
almost to the T of a, like a, sli- a slightly younger version of Mickey Pascal from Chicago casting. And I adore Mickey and and, and they kind of have the same vibe. And I was like, and she was like, oh, I'm Jody. I was like, oh, you're so nice. You know, she was lovely. And I thought that's a good sign, right? And then I, I didn't, when I walked in to the room, I just was completely relaxed. Like complete, it did not cross my mind to get nervous because I literally, these things are such a shot in the dark, like such a long shot that it's sort of like with, like with, like under 10 television rules, I, for some reason, it feels like it's more possible so that I get more scared. Right. But for like a national commercial, you're like, this is like, there's like 500 people. What, what, you know, like, no way. So what, so then of course the pressure's off for me anyway, some people might, that might do a different trigger. So I walk in the room and there's, of course, like always it's hilarious. Like there's one director and then there's 10 advertising people, right? Like, or eight advertising people. I don't know what they do. They were fine. They were lovely. Everyone was lovely and hilarious. And we laughed and we had fun. And um, then I, then I left and I said to Miles, like, I can honestly say like I slayed that and it has nothing to do with acting. It was just all about your, how you are in the room. It's not about the, and I think that that's so true. Like it's not about the fucking acting. Now people are probably like, oh my God, shut up because you know, we go to school for it. We do, but for this particular thing, it is literally about the vibe in the room with the director. Do you vibe with the people in the room? And also, are you willing to um, be loosey goosey? Like, can you just go with the flow, whatever's happening? And, and cause everything is, you know, it's just like a very weird situation in terms of, you know, they're casting a lot of people. So there's, this is a huge commercial in that I think there's like 10 roles, right? It's like a campaign. It might be a back to school situation. I don't know what it is, but so they're all tired. Everyone is like, you know, they were all English. They were from, you know, I I don't know. We don't have, I guess we don't have people here. I, I don't know what's happening, but everyone came from London apparently to do this. And so that was, you know, like the team. And so I was like, okay, anyway, a blast. And so then I leave and I'm like, you know, that was so fun that it was legit. If I had taken a lie detector test beans and they had said like, do you care? Like, uh, are you going to be devastated if you don't book this? I would have said no, because I really felt like I did my job for the first time in like two years. So yeah, that's, but it's just so hard to get to the place of relaxation. But um, what I think is funny. Oh, wait, Shoot. That's okay. I'll talk and then you can. So, so okay. you'll remember, I know how this goes down the line. You remember. So, and then just interrupt me when you remember. So, um, okay. So I leave, I, I call my agent. I, who I adore Cassie. She's my commercial agent and she loves me. Look, they have not given up on me. This, I, I have not booked anything since I moved here, since I signed with them. I signed with them in 2021. At the beginning, I think, of 2021 or somewhere around there, maybe 20, no, 2020, 2020. And I have not booked a goddamn thing. So I call Cassie, who I saw from assistant to she's moved her way up and all that time. And I called her and left her a voicemail. And then she wrote me back and said, your voicemail, uh, your, um, I loved your voicemail. And then she wrote me back and said, your feeling was right. You're on check avail for the. Oh, for the, well, we'll cut it up, whatever. And I was like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. And then I just got a thing saying, congratulations, you booked it. And I was like, like, what? I I remember the thing I was going to say, I bet you 
the apropos of what you were saying about how it's not about the acting, I bet you the number one thing that a person who's casting a commercial does not want to see on somebody's resume is that they went to theater school, yeah. right? Because we're going to be in, especially recent grads, like taking it very seriously and not just working on the part of you, have, just what you said, having the vibe, being in the room. I told my son um, that you got this yeah. commercial. He was excited for you. And he, because he's, you know, like we all are preoccupied with money. He's like, how much is she going to make? And I told him what yeah. you thought you thought it was. And he goes, you know what? <clears throat> That's great. But honestly, I, he, he did one commercial. He did um, JC, uh, like a JC yeah, commercial. I saw it. It's yeah. on his reel maybe or something. He goes, I would rather work <laughs> for five weeks for, you know, whatever, like a quarter of that, because he hated did he hate? filming it. Um, the commercial, they were just all dancing. Yeah. And so they listened to the same song for eight hours. And he's a mu- musician. He was really going crazy by the end. He was really like, I can't believe we have to listen to the song again. So uh, that's hilarious. But, but like we say, this is, you know, the reason that these things are well paid is because you spent it two years, right? Not making anything. Right. It's back pay. It's yeah. back pay. I and I never. I, I. I. Yeah, they're paying you for all the millions of audition. Well, millions. All the whatevers of auditions, tens of auditions you've done that you've never heard anything, and rightly so. Like most of them. Like most of them. I, I haven't done what. Like I in the callback. My last callback before this was for something. I can't even. Oh, like a lotto commercial, and I did not. I did not nail it. And I, and also it was my first one back in person. And like, Gina, they, no one was in the room. They were all in, in a sound overhead and they hid the camera. They hid the the screen. So I didn't know who was, it was the most bizarre thing. And then they were giving me direction and I, I just screwed it up. It was not good. And I, and I watched that commercial, the Lotto commercial and, and it, it was really funny and they did a great job, but it wasn't a national. So I feel better. I mean, I could have done more, yeah. but whatever. Yeah. Yeah. The point is, what if you became this brand's spokesperson? Like, isn't that the holy grail? Like flow, the flow? Like flow. yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would do it. Great. Make me the blank, the blank person. Yeah. Great. The blank person, yeah. Well, congratulations. That is really, really cool. Now, listen, did you, you didn't watch Tread, did you? Tread, the documentary about Marv? Uh, totally f- went off my radar screen. I That's forgot. Okay. So we'll talk about it next time, but suffice it. Everyone watch this. It's not actually that good, but I want to know if I'm the only lunatic that really identifies with Marv. And in this documentary on Netflix called tread T R E A D and tell me if I'm a lunatic, because I left feeling, I, I stopped watching it feeling like I really relate to Marv and I think he did the right thing. He also Is he a killer. No, but he oh. fucking bulldozed the town. Oh, right, 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 right. So, so we'll talk, we can talk about it at a later time, but everyone just please watch Tread and, and can you like send us an email or something and let me know if you identify with Marv or the town, because okay. I'm on team Marv all the way. I fucking wanted him to bulldoze. It's a great name. Marv. I mean, honestly, it's a really good name. Anyway. So I probably will be team yeah. Marv anyway. Okay, cool. Um, yeah. I had something I want to run by you. It is... Um, oh no, just to say I recently read or am 
No, I'm in the middle of reading B.J. Novak's book of stories. That it came oh, out a yeah. while ago. I'd never read it. Okay, tell. I never read it. it. I I don't know why it just didn't call to me, but it's a book of stories, and you know, this may not be a new thing. It may not be something he came up with, but it was the first time I'd really read. They're fictional stories. It's not essays. It's not memoir. Uh, I mean, some of it might have been true, right. but it's, it's a, they're fictional stories. And he, they're very good. And some of them are a paragraph long and some of them are 10 pages long. And I realized I have a notes thing with like a hundred little bits of ideas. And I kind of think that that's what he had with these stories. He had like a a, a, a premise mm-hmm. that sounded or like just a, a kind of a joke element that he wanted and he just turned it into a story. So it has been very inspiring for me and I'm like really going to try to write a book of stories. Good. I think you should. And I think I've always thought you should put, be published. Like I always think like you should publish your stuff. It reads really well on the page. And like, I just am all for it. And then, and yeah, to just, yeah. So my obstacle will be, of course, believing in myself and, you know, like, but, but I, but I'm like ready to accept that challenge. I, I think I've done, yeah, you've done enough work, dude, enough work on like, just, you're trying to get myself through the basics. You believe me. That leads me to what I wanted to ask you. And I talked a little bit about this with you on the phone, but okay. So I'm inviting alumni to the LA meet and greet. Holy fucking shit. Are the reactions. Everyone is traumatized by this school. Some more than others. I won't mention names, but what I will say is you want to, you want to get a mixed bag invite alumni from the theater school to come to a theater school meet and greet in LA whole it ranges from basically fuck you leave me alone I, I wish that place was burned to the ground to oh my god I am so excited I can't wait to be there I'm gonna go I can't wait can I bring my family to yeah which is great I said sure what? It's at a bar, but okay. They're like little kids. I don't know. I said, well, do whatever to, um, I'm on it. Like the, you know, the fans, the, like the working, working people are all shooting things. Like, you know, uh, um, I will mention, cause they're lovely. Um, John Huganacker and Dave Desmalshin really wanted to come, but they're both fancy and shooting their things in different parts. One's in Australia, one's in over here. So they, but they wanted to come and are going to send videos to, for the students to watch like a inspirational or John said he would. So, okay. That's great. And to people that just are like, no, thanks pass. (laughs) Wow. Well, there's two things I want to acknowledge here. One is you did wow an incredible amount of work and like there is so much value add to what you've done i i hope the school recognizes that um and and the other is yeah it brings up all the things it brings up all of the emotions it brings up all of the traumas this is why people struggle about whether or not they're going to go to their high school reunion right and or whether or not they're i was going to say also to come on the show our show it's like they're like if you haven't done the healing work and believe me, it's not easy work. And I actually don't do a lot of work, maybe like humans until I'm forced to, maybe we all do that until it's like, I cannot function unless I move through something. So I get it. But 
if if we have not done the work of like healing something it does it would be like a fucking nightmare like you'd rather fucking get a staph infection than go to the fucking bar and see the theater school people yeah if i were still a therapist right. and i'd be i'd say no i don't think i'm gonna do that. <laughs> i just don't think i'm gonna do that now, i'm like excited except for I, I we i may see people i don't want to see and you know who that is. And so it's like, uh, but I'm willing to do it. I'm ringing Jisa. She didn't go to the theater school, but she went to DePaul. She's like, I want to go. She's excited to get the fuck out of the house. And so she's like, I'm coming. I'm like, great. The more the merrier. So it's going to be like this big, Joe is coming. Uh, Joe Basile. Uh, Basile. Mm-hmm. And, um, so we're just going to go. And I'm going to see, I'm doing it for the kids. Like literally doing it for the kids. Yeah. And oh, I love that. They're very excited. And I don't know who will show up, but I will be there. And also like, I'm just so grateful that I, I, even if it's uncomfortable to see certain people, like if, 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 you know, I don't think he'll come, but of course that, that email for John C. Riley that I keep using to try to get him to be on our show. I also, and then is through his reps. I also sent the invite. Like if he shows that will be weird, but it'll be a funny story. So what I'm saying is I'm really glad that we did this podcast because I, as, as sort of uncomfortable as I would be, I'm still going to be uncomfortable. Like that's, but it's not going to be trauma. I don't think it's going to be as like, trauma inducing and as triggering as if I had never done any of the work. Yeah. And, you know, I think when we talk about doing the work, I think it can sound really mm, like don't like too, too much, but actually I'm realizing as you're talking that maybe even the biggest part of the work is deciding you want to do it. Like that's the, maybe the hardest part. And then just being the in control of it, like being the person who's guiding it as a, because that's what happened. That's what we're avoiding when we're avoiding traumatic responses is we're avoiding the things that we can't control just coming at us. And then, and all we can do is be defensive as opposed to, you know, I'm going to go towards it so that I can have some control over, you know, what the first moments of it are like. So for people who are, uh, change curious healing oh, I curious. think think about that think about how the hardest part of this is really deciding that you want to face it and everything after that is like oh no that wasn't so hard right. today on the podcast we are talking to sumie takashima sumie was a theater studies person at the theater school and at tish before taking a bunch of unexpected twists and turns in her life. So please enjoy our conversation with Sumie Takashima. bombarded with visual and oral stimulation whether you like it or not right and i live yes. in the hospital so i heard 24-hour sirens. oh yeah 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 okay sumie takashima congratulations you survived theater school <laughs> thank you <laughs> were you in which program were you in at the theater school i was in the production program Okay. I'm yes, I'm a backstage person. Okay. Did you do that? Yeah. Did you want to do that all through high school or when did you first know you wanted to do that? I did. I was, um, my middle school did a musical every spring. They used the orchestra, the middle school orchestra as a pit orchestra. 
And, oh my god! Oh, it was amazing. That is amazing. I bet it was so fun. I thought, I thought this was how it was done. And then with my own kids, I realized I was very lucky. Um, and I did. I signed up for all of the crews that I could possibly do. I did makeup. I did costumes. I helped backstage. Whatever I could do. And then I volunteered at the Hangar Theater over the summer. And I grew up in Ithaca, New York. So I was Just at the like, Hangar Theater Jess, over the summer. Hannah, do you know Jess Hannah? She talked about the hangar on her yeah. episode. Yeah. <laughs> I I have to say I'm I'm very bad remembering any names That's okay. from the so past. So were we. We 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 had a whole I mean if you listened at all to our show uh, a large part yeah. of us is just like, wait, what happened with who? Wait. And then when I see people, people's faces, I'm like, oh, yeah, I remember this human. Like, so I remember yeah, now. Yeah, yeah. Anyway. Okay. So the hangar. So you. So uh, I fell in love. That was it. I was just, I couldn't believe it. It was amazing. Every night was this, you were just transformed into this, uh, you were in this other world. And I thought that I couldn't imagine life not doing this for the rest of my life. What, what do you think, what do you attribute that to? Like what, where did that love come from? Were your, was your family a big arts family or was it, how did that happen? My, my, my mom's side was a big arts family, like ballet and singing. And my mom was a visual artist. She went to uh, NYU oh. for, for art. So she was a fine art major. Um, but she also had a lot of, um, issues that made being at home not where I wanted to ever ah, be. Understood. So I signed up for every activity. I, anything I could do in the school, I did. You know, if it didn't cost extra money, I didn't need a ride. And theater took it to a whole other level because it brought, it brought me to another world. It didn't matter. You know, it was just I was really good backstage and I loved it. And I loved the show every night and the different energy that every show brought with the audience. And I thought, well, this, it doesn't matter what's at home. I have this. <laughs> is, is the, I've always wondered this about people who love to be backstage, but they don't like to be on stage. Is it this, how does it compare the thrill of being backstage versus um, in the, in the audience, if you're not, you know, not, not on stage? Oh, I'm terrible in the audience. Oh, why? Say why? You get nervous? Oh, or you? Oh no! In, in the if I'm in the audience, I'm thinking about what they're doing backstage. I'm wondering if somebody messed something up, or I, I'm thinking about the mechanics of how it's running smoothly, or if it transitions too fast, or I can't. Yeah, no, my kids hate it. If I go to any of their, my daughter is natural actress and you we thought drama classes would help her to control the inner drama ah, no probably brought it out more no. yeah 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 it brought it out more yeah well so would it be fair to say that how you just described the experience made me think oh you like to see how things are made i like to see how things are made i i like to try and improve upon them you're like an engineer, so I love like an engineer, like an engineer right. brain. But without the math. Right, no. Tell us about the process of deciding, okay, this is, I'm going to study this for college and then what it was like in the, in the program, if it, if it was what you expected it to be. 
It was great. I actually, um, in retrospect, of course, because that's how we see everything when we're smarter, um, I should have stayed at DePaul because it was a really great program. Um, I wanted to get out of Ithaca. I went to visit Chicago a couple of times and I loved the big city, but it wasn't too big. And um, the program was actually really amazing. You didn't stay, Sumi? Uh, you left? I didn't. I feel like you were there I the went whole to... time. No, okay. I... <laughs> you kept hearing yeah. my name? <laughs> I uh, I transferred to Tish. Oh, this is coming back After to my me. second year. Yeah, I transferred to Tish. And <sighs> I just thought that because when I was in high school, I was intimidated by the NYU essay. Oh. So I did not apply. And I had this moment in one of my, you know, all-nighters in Chicago where I said, you know what, I'm going to write that essay. And I sat down and I wrote it in like 20 minutes. Thank goodness they hadn't changed the question. (laughs) And I called my mom, of all people, who I never called my mom. Um, And I woke her up in the middle of the night so I could read her (gasps) my essay. Oh, it sounds like your mom was a complicated lady. She was. She always supported me and my younger sister 110%, always, um, in whatever we wanted to do. But she didn't want us to leave the house. Oh, she was like that. So. um, Because she was afraid or? She was afraid. Okay. She was afraid. And, you know, she had lived in New York City. And I I was actually just cleaning out the house recently. And I found some um, really nice black and white prints that she had taken when she was a student and they were of like there was I found a picture of McDougal Street down the block from the Players Theater where I was an assistant stage manager on a show there and it was a picture of the cafe where I used to get my coffee before going to the theater to the theater and I couldn't believe it I'm like why didn't we ever talk about this so, yeah, it was, um, she was very supportive, yes, but she didn't, something happened along the way where um, she just, you know, became consumed by all of the bad things that could happen in the she world. She got afraid. She got very afraid. She was just, and that was it. And she stayed in you the know, house? And then it, Did she, like, was she? She, yeah. she mostly stayed in the house. And that was hard because then I just mostly wanted to get out of right. the house. Did you... Um, absorb any of her fears? You know, I talk to my kids really realistically and I say, listen, there's some really bad things out there and bad people and I don't want you to be afraid to try new things or go new places. I just want you to be aware Mm -hmm. and observant and just, you know. Right make good choices. Yeah. That's, that's all we can do because we would never do anything. We would never do anything. We would never go anywhere. Yeah. That's not a life, right? But so, but DePaul wasn't cutting it for you. What, what was not working? It was the city. Oh, you, Oh, it was really, it was Chicago. I had, um, I don't know. It wasn't, uh, it wasn't my, it just, I didn't feel 
comfortable in Chicago. Really? Was it like... I really wanted to go to the New York City. Yeah. And um, it was there was like a small town feeling about Chicago. I, yeah. And that might have been because of the theater yeah. school. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, I think that um, going back, like looking back at Chicago now, I'm like, oh, yeah. And, and I don't... It does. It feels really, the theater school in general, like the whole idea and Lincoln Park feels like a small suburb kind of uh, thing that happens there. And Lincoln Park is also like not indicative of the rest of the city at all in some ways. Right. So, yeah, because it's so segregated. It's so white. It's so rich. It it's so, and that's where we were. And um, also you're from the East coast, right? So you, New York yes. is the place to be like that. I get it, but that's pretty brave. So you just were like, I'm out of here or how did that? How did <laughs> yeah. That, oh my God. Yeah. It was, uh, it was scary, but everything we do that's scary makes us stronger. And it's one less thing we're scared of. Um, and it took me on a different journey because as soon as I got to Tish, I realized I hadn't really thought it through and I didn't have the money I hadn't worked out the tuition. Oh, shit. <laughs> yeah. So I didn't stay at Tisch. My dad was pretty upset. He um, he asked why I didn't call him, that he would have just paid the tuition. Oh, you left? And okay, wait, wait, wait. We got to back up here. I left. You... Yeah. I left like with the within that first year at Tisch. I left and I started, I was waitressing in a couple of bars and I was you know, looking for a retail job. And it took me on a whole other, and I was doing like free theater, any kind of theater gigs I could get just to keep my resume fresh and current all the time and to make those connections. And yeah, it was a whole, then there was like a whole other life started. Holy shit. So did you, you didn't, when you left DePaul, like, did you like the classes at DePaul and, and the city wasn't, or was the whole thing just lame to you? No, I really loved the classes. And I still, I still have my HDL notes. HDL, we please, need to see those. please send them to us. I would love to look at them. I loved that class. It was like the best history class ever. What a great way to learn about history. Actually, <laughs> great theater. point. What a great yeah. point. I'm, I did not that take advantage best. of it. I did not have that positive interpretation then but actually that's a really excellent point because that's the only way I ever learned anything about history anyway is through the lens right. of a narrative you know through through story okay so but what was the goal when you were still in the schools what was the goal to develop a skill set and so that you were employable or were you not necessarily sure that that's what you were going to do for your career I wanted to spend I, I wanted to work in theater. That was my, what I wanted to do, but I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. If I, you know, and towards the end of DePaul, I kind of got into stage managing and I thought, oh, I really like this because, you know, you're involved in all facets of the show from the beginning to the end. And so if something happens, you know where it came from and you know where the, it's going and you could, it's better, it's easier to fix it that way. Or, you know, I feel like, so I, you, yeah, I started stage managing. Did you have this thing about stage managing where all the stage managers that I've worked with have this thing in common, which is um, the ability to get shit done and also save the day, but aren't 
usually egomaniacs. Do you relate to that? Like, I like, yes. okay. they're like superheroes yes. without needing people to think they're superheroes yes. and being glamorous. I don't, <laughs> I don't want any attention. I think that's, you know, I would prefer not to be on this stage. I like the, being backstage. You don't need to thank me for anything. Just do your job, do your job. And I'm happy if I can make things better. Um, so, but when yeah, you so. left Tish and you left for financial reasons, um, you were just working, but then how did you get back into a groove of whatever you were going to do next in your life? Well, I, I had a day job. I became one of those day job people. So I, I worked like part-time in retail. I worked weekends at a bar and then everything would stop if I got a gig. So if it was costumes or set or they needed a stage manager, it didn't matter if it was paid or not because I had my day job, I would take the work. So I was, I was working on small shows all the time. Um, and then I started working at Urban Outfitters where as a manager, I had paid vacation <gasps> And I was, you know, 19 or Holy 20 shit, years old. that's good. Paid vacation. This is great. Uh, so I started backpacking in Central America. What? <laughs> yeah. And that was like a whole other segment. So I would work on shows in between my two paid vacations each year. And then I would go on these like seven, 10 day excursions. Wow. Getting off the plane and saying, okay, well, where am I going to go first? And uh so that was you know no wait a minute wait a minute wait a minute here's my thing <laughs> like i i it's so interesting that you had a mom were your parents divorced or together yes okay divorced. so that's because my first question was like you didn't call your dad when you he was like why didn't you call me so there's clearly like some kind of thing there where you didn't feel like you could call your dad and be like hey can you hook me up with some money for nyu why didn't you do that i didn't want to i didn't want to be my mom was always calling my dad for uh, money. I didn't want to call my dad for money. I wanted to be self-sufficient. You know, I, I visited schools on my own. I filled out my financial aid applications on my own. You know, I went to DePaul on a merit scholarship. Um, and um, Holy shit. So I, I, I honestly, I, it didn't occur to me to call and say, hey, daddy, can I have a 10 grand? Right. <laughs> so you're this really interesting mix of like a risk taker and very pragmatic. I mean, because people who are stage managers have to be extremely practical and pragmatic. And I maybe it's maybe it's congruous that there's risk takers, but I don't feel like it's stage managers I've met necessarily fit that bill. So. I mean, how do you, does, is that, am I right? Is that a dichotomy or no? Well, you know, as a stage manager, I would say you have to be really good at improv. Oh, yeah. But you can't be good at the improv if you don't have a really sound foundation. So if you don't know all the components and you're not comfortable with them and you don't fully understand what the end goal is, it's really hard to to take risks in the middle ah. if you need to, you know, like sometimes you have to fix something and the answer is not always handed to you. So you have to improvise and you have to 
be with, you know, that's a risk. Okay. So to me, I just heard a story. What would you do in this situation about stage managers where the stage manager in London maybe had to go on? Did you hear about this? As an actor, it was some big West End show and the, like everyone got COVID or something like every, like, and they still wanted to do the show and the freaking stage manager went on, knew the lines and went, of course, and would you do it? If I had to, this is what I'm talking about. These are the kind of people I want in the foxhole. Someone who, if I had to do it, if you, yeah, yeah. holy shit. See, this is what, these are like true theater heroes. Like people who would be like, you know, if I had to do it, I would do it. And this is who I'd want as a stage manager running my thing. That's amazing. So I feel like you'd be hard pressed to find somebody who's maybe in a program now for, for stage management who would answer that question the same way that you did? Really? Well, only because, and I'm going to try to say this without casting aspersions because I really don't have any judgment about it, but it just, it seems to me like we're in this age of like recognizing limits in a more realistic way and not doing this theater at all costs, blood, sweat, and tears, the show must go on. I feel like people today would say the show does not need to go on. I don't know if that's the right answer or not. I mean, I, I only know, I don't know. the old way. So <laughs> if the audience shows up, the show has to go on. <laughs> yeah. So there's the other thing. It's like, there is this sort of uh, flip side to the reckoning in American theater and the arts in general, which is the boundaries, which people are setting part of me is like right on. And the other part of me is like, this would never fly when I was a 20 something. Like you fucking just do the thing. Like I did, we did that show with right at the Merle Ruskin with, with Kate McKiernan or whoever with the earpiece and, and, and the stage manager feeding the lines. So, so uh, yeah, but we did it. And let me tell you something. I'm glad we did because it did prove to us that like, live theater shit happens and also you can do it. So there's something about like you right. can do it. It will be okay right. versus no, this is uncomfortable. Shut the shit down. Right. So it's like a and line. You can apply it. To, you can apply it to anything in life that any situation right. where the plan doesn't go according to plan. And if you, I think if you have a theater background, you'll be fine. You're like no problem. Yeah. We'll do this. Oh, my gosh. So, you, so you're bumping along, working during the day and doing shows. At, at some point, did I mean, because what typically happens to people is they do that for whatever it is, 10 years, and then they go. Seven years. Seven, seven years. Go back to school. Okay. Oh, so you went back to school. Okay. I went back to school. Where'd you go? I went to Hunter. Yeah. Hunter College. Very, very inexpensive. Um, and, you know, they had a pretty decent program. I really enjoyed the academics because when I was at DePaul, I have no memory of my yeah, academics. Me neither. So there you go. I took them. Me too. They're on my transcript. I have no memory. I took that class? Right. No memory. So I really, being a little more mature, I really enjoyed the academics. And I took more than I needed because it was so inexpensive. And I'm like, this looks good. This looks good. Um, in terms of the theater department, I am sorry to say I was a snob. Yeah. 
So you were like, this sucks, was, is basically what you I was said. a total okay. snob. I'm like, I'm just here to finish. I don't really need this. <laughs> what the, what, I've been doing this for years. The work was not up to par? Um, it just wasn't, it wasn't like a, it wasn't a hands-on program. I mean, they had, you know, you had your director project, you know, your director shows and um, I did do some hands-on stuff, but it wasn't it's not like a professional like training. It, it wasn't, it's not a conservatory, right. you know, and. Um, but did you major, did you do a major and all that shit? In my major was in theater okay. and Spanish literature. Oh, oh so that's the <laughs> Central America thing. I was wondering how you got. To right, that. right. Okay, so with Hunter is Hunter in Queens? No, where? No, it's in Manhattan. No, okay, upper east okay. Side. So you went yep. there, and what was the goal? To get a degree, or? Yeah, so the goal was to finish my degree and to add something more practical to it. I.e., the so Spanish. With the Spanish. I thought, well, I could teach if I had to. Mm -hmm. I could always go and teach, mm -hmm. which is ironic because now all of these years later, I've just submitted my credentials to get a substitute teaching certificate because with my three kids, I can't really figure out how to work in the theater, a, a job say, say, speak during the school day on it. Yes, absolutely. Like my, my freedom is confined to the school day. So like it's hard I can get, you know, I even retail. No, like you, you can't. can't. No, no, that's and no. Say, oh, I can only work between nine and two when my kids are in school. I need my weekends off and my and then, vacation. All and then COVID. <laughs> and I might have to go home if they have to then, do homeschool. Right. And then somebody's sick. And then yeah, um, and it's snow days. It can come in when. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's. So uh, it's been especially so. But I, I skipped a whole other chapter. Ooh. When I finished. That's where I am now. When I finished at Hunter, that was the same year my dad passed away in a house fire. What the? How? When? What? What year was this? So, okay. This was two thousand three. Okay. Shit. So I hear that. Where was he? That, where was he? He was in Albany. He worked for the New York State Department of Labor as an analyst. What? What and, the fuck happened? The um, fire started and. Holy that shit. was it. So that and the last few years, he had been traveling down to the city for work. He was um, assessing social workers oh. in the field and uh, retraining. And so he was in the city every week and we would have lunch every week. And I was finally getting to know this person I never really knew, thinking, wow, you're really cool. You know, because mom trash talked you all those years. And I'm so glad that we have this time. So. Oh, yeah. how long did that happen to me that you were with, that you reconnected? Like how many years did you have good years with him? It was about, I would say, let's see, I moved to New York in 95 uh -huh. and maybe around 97, he started coming down to the city regularly. Like seven years, like five years to six years. Yeah. Oh, so, shit. but I thought I had forever. Right. <laughs> I thought I had forever. So I wasn't in a rush to ask a million not. questions or, you know, so I was lost, oh. totally lost after yeah. that. Um, Holy shit. I am so sorry. I was, uh, I was working in commercial print as a associate producer at the time. 
and um they just called you and said this happened uh, the sheriff called me and we're like and said you know we've been trying to get a hold of you there was a fire yesterday you know oh my god are you an only child i have a younger sister so holy shit so that is horrific so I spent weekends going up to Albany and like, like a crazy person digging through the rubble to see if I could salvage anything. Literally, <laughs> there's rubble and liter- literally. And did like, you salvage anything? Literally. I have, I still have bins of smoke stuff like in the basement in Ithaca. That's like the last of what I have to clear out of the house in Ithaca. Uh, my mom was in the house. So yeah, I was totally lost. So I uh, I took time off and I went to Japan. Wow. And I got to know my dad through Holy shit. where he came from. Holy oh my shit. God, what did you learn? I learned that he wasn't so strange. <laughs> I learned that, you know, his his silence and his mannerisms and, you know, all of that was just, he was just very Japanese. And I think that we're in a culture that we don't, it's interesting with this resurgence of podcasting or or, or podcasting coming about, but like, we don't like to ask a lot of questions. And I feel like the only time I asked questions of my parents were when they were dying, literally. Like when they were alive, it was too scary. It would open up too many cans of worms. Like, why are you guys so fucked up? It's not really a question, you know, but when they were dying, I could do that. But with your dad, you didn't have warning that was happening. And also with your mom, it sounds like it just sounds like maybe it was too complicated to get to know her while she was alive. Right. Like, yes. Yes. And at the end she, she, couldn't speak so she had uh multiple sclerosis Mm -hmm. and um you know which probably she could have received some sort of therapy for earlier on had she let any doctor yeah actually diagnose her because if you don't leave the house it's really hard to get support yeah you're making me realize that because I, I treated a, a few people when I was a therapist who were who were hoarding. I, I this is sounds very obvious now, but for some reason I hadn't really thought about it in the, this way that that the hoarding is all about keeping everything inside, and it, and it goes hand in hand with agoraphobia. I'm sure too. Hoarding is about I refuse to open the box because if Uh, i open the box i will die i will die i will never Uh, come back from that place yep Uh, it's so interesting it's so interesting like the the things are representative of the feelings and the unexpressed thoughts and probably the unprocessed trauma it's and and having in, in at least one case, gone to the home of one of these people, it's this very strange dichotomy of I'm seeing everything about your illness in every square inch of this apartment, but you don't want to tell me anything about what's right. going on inside of you. It was maddening. What was her, um, do you know anything about her, where she came from or 
what uh, she grew up in a conservative Jewish household mm -hmm. in Sullivan County, just outside of the city. You know, her her father was a painter. Um, like a fine arts painter know, or a house painter? A fine arts painter. A fine arts painter. You know, we have some paintings of his in the house. There's so many paintings. And he gave, uh, he would go to like the senior center and give art lessons. Oh. And he would go, you know, he was, he, uh, he was like a very likable, charismatic person. He would go to the diners. Whenever I would visit, he would go to the diners and say, oh, today's my birthday. You know, I, I should get a free ice cream for himself. Sure, not you for know. you. Okay. <laughs> so um, my question then is like, growing up, did you feel like now we have more of a sort of like mixed kid kind of a thing? I'm a mixed kid. Like, you know, right. I'm half Latina. Half. Right. Did you, what was your relationship like with that being half Japanese, half, did you do what I did, which is just pretend I had nothing in me? <laughs> um, it was really hard <laughs> with my name. Oh, right. Um, and I was also, you know, it, it was tough. It was really tough. I was like the Chinese kid with glasses. That's what people would call me. And they didn't understand how I was Japanese and I couldn't speak Japanese. And the reason I couldn't speak Japanese was because the doctors told my mom, don't let dad use Japanese because she'll have trouble in school, which is, you know, now we know it's the opposite. <laughs> so when my dad died, I started studying Japanese so that I could communicate with all of my family. And can you do it? A little bit. I mean, not so much now. But you did learn it. Because I did learn it. I speak like a child. Yeah, me too. I was better... I actually, um, when I came back from Japan the first time, I decided that I was going to go to grad school. My dad would be happy if I went to grad school. That's what he wanted me to do. I was going to get back on track. I was good. So I applied to grad school for actually set design. <laughs> because in my, you know, travels of working on shows, I discovered I really love designing sets. And... Um, I was offered early acceptance to Carnegie Mellon and to the Mason Gross School at Rutgers. And then I didn't, and then I found out I was pregnant. <laughs> so that put me on another chapter, which brought me to take. So our firstborn, we named Hiroshi after my dad. And I said, well, if his name is Hiroshi, he has to grow up speaking Japanese, or at least he has to know it or something about it, something more than I did. So I moved to Japan with him. Wait, what? Yeah. Wait a minute, wait a minute. So my husband stayed here. He got a tiny apartment, and I took the baby to Japan. Uh, and we were there a little less than a year. And I realized when we come back, I still am not going to be any more fluent. So I started a Japanese preschool in the East Village. Wait, and I hired all native speakers. Yes. Wow. And I ran it. What the fuck is happening <laughs> yeah. here? I feel like you've had 730 lives. Yes. A lot of lives. Yes. Well, that's why I keep forgetting things. Oh, oh that was, yeah. You got to write it down, my so, friend. You got to write it down. So I had the business for seven years. And every couple of years, I would take the kid and then the two kids and then the three kids 
to Japan. I'd rent like a furnished apartment. I'd force all the family members to get together. We would see all my friends who had left New York and moved back to Japan. And we would go to all the summer festivals that we could find. And I would drag them on all the different kinds of Shinkansen. And What's to all that? The, What's that? The bullet train. Ooh. I would, I and I would do the same things every time we went because I wanted to tradition, kind of in, like this tradition or at least these sensory memories where if they go back, they can say, oh, oh my God, you I like really, this. it's so funny. You stage managed the shit out of their childhood. Yes. Which I was just yes. going to say, oh, yeah. you're parenting them the way you wish you were parented. Yes. Yeah. Well, Sumi, the other thing that I'm noticing is like you have created a life you have your life is like intent seems to be intentionally created in a certain way now that I think um I guess it's like you just became it seems like you became hyper intentional about the way that you're raising your kids yeah, nothing like random no. nothing yeah yeah, I mean, probably to a fault. <laughs> the other interesting thing is like the, for me, that what that in your DNA, like your dad was a woodworker, right? So he's an artist. Your grandfather is a painter. Your mom was a paint, mm-hmm. a fine artist. So you, you come from a family of artists. So like that, that yeah. was there. So it's interesting. All the hoarding and all the separation and all the weirdness. It's like the arts are still in the DNA, even if it gets they are. covered up with a bunch of shit. And my husband's side, there's art also. So, uh, you know, it's, you know, it's just beating them over the head, but we let them find their own path. (laughs) And where are you sitting now with your own creative desires and intentions? It, well, that's the thing. That's where I'm like, oh, well, everyone's doing great. And now, you know, what happened to the track that I was on? So it's funny because I decided, okay, now I'm going to go back to grad school. So if there's one thing I could say is, first of all, Try to finish the first school you go to. Don't transfer. <laughs> and then second, go to grad school right away and get it out of the way. <laughs> get, get it done before you have kids. Because I kept saying every two years, I'm like, oh, you know, I could have finished it already. Oh, I could have finished it. However busy I thought I was, two years later, I would think, wow, now I'm busier. Do you, What does, gra- like those things, you know, when you, I liked when you said, if you could say anything, you would say, don't transfer, get it done, go to grad school right away. Because what do those things, Sumie, signify to you? Like, what do they represent to you? Like finishing those things, like the grad degree and the, I'm just curious, like for getting, you. Getting that, that grad degree, I would love, honestly, I would love to, I would love to teach, not little kids. Oh yeah, no. I don't have the patience for little kids. I thought I did, and I was kind of looking at grad school for education, but I'm not going to do that. So what what would you like to teach? Like what if you had your, like my wish for you is that you go to grad school, right? Very soon. (laughs) And that you do the thing you want to do. And like, what would that be? Like, what would the teaching be? What would you want to teach? You know, that's a good question. That's a good question. When the programs I was looking at this year were actually for research administration and compliance. Oh. Because, which is kind of like stage managing, mm-hmm. right? And I thought I could have a bigger impact in a nonprofit environment. Um, you know, I do a lot of volunteer work. 
And I kind of thought that this would be a good way to combine the skill set I have from all of my different experiences managing and directing, whether it was theater or in preschool or my own business or retail, whatever it is, it's all the same skill sets you sure. need, right? It really is if you come if you break it yep. down. And then I could apply it to to do to contribute something to the greater good and have benefits and have a paycheck and all of that stuff that I started out having um, that as like a mom, I kind of lost along the way where it was something I was doing for myself, where it wasn't just like, I'm doing this because I need a right. job. It's I'm doing this because this is the job I want to be doing. Right. And I also think that there is something coming to me. It's so funny. As we do these interviews with people, I have these like weird witchy things that happen to me where I get a sense of what they're going to be doing. And I think you're going to write. Ooh. There's something <laughs> about memoir for me with you about. Oh, I've started right. many Okay. Books. Well, you need to finish. I, I think that's the key. You may be someone who teaches other people how to either write a memoir or collect family history or storytelling, something about the past and also the commitment to tradition. There's something there. And I bet you're going to be a writer. I have this feeling there's some. That was my original goal when I was a kid, Oh, a little kid. Yeah. Okay. And what, did you get talked out of it? No. Oh. oh, no. I never got talked out of what I wanted to do. Oh. It was just getting talked out of leaving the house. <laughs> well, that's getting talked out of so many things. Well, but writing is but, something that you definitely don't need to leave the house for. So no, writing, I, um, I, I did win a, an essay award in high school. And, and it was actually, it was a story I wrote about my grandfather, the, the, the painter, um, and, uh, you know, it's hard. I feel like, I feel like I'm waiting for the kids to get old enough where I can find regular pockets of time for myself, where I could actually sit down and finish a thought uh -huh. and not be in the grocery store. Girl. So, <laughs> Gina knows. I mean, I'll tell you, I'll, for what it's worth, I'll tell you what I've learned, which is, you know, getting interrupted really the problem is getting interrupted because you have to mm -hmm. write in a flow and you can't do that if every five minutes somebody's coming to ask you to unpause the wi-fi <laughs> so um <laughs> i personally need to leave my house um and at a time when my husband can can be with the kids and and i stopped doing the thing that i was doing initially which was i'd go someplace and i'd Spend, you know, I'd have four hours and I'd spend an hour like dicking around on the internet. I finally learned that that's part of the process, that it's all part of the process. Actually, you're writing when you're walking around the grocery store too. And you're writing when you're having your shower thoughts, you're always actually writing. The hard part is finding the moment to put everything that's in here down. And you need to have an uninterrupted chunk of time to do that. And the other thing that's hard to do, I mean, I can really relate to a lot of what you're saying. The other thing that's hard to do in my family is to convince people in my family that it's still work, even though I'm not getting paid for it right now. Oh, yes. <laughs> right? It's like, yes. well, yeah, because if I, yeah. if I got a salary for what I did for you people, <laughs> oh, <laughs> I'd be the top earner here because mm -hmm. everything, I mean, I am stage managing the fuck out of my yes. family. <laughs> 
Yes. And you have, you don't have a choice. Yeah, exactly. Okay. So here's my question. If we sat down with you in mm-hmm. a year um, and we sit down on your, and we say, and we, Gina and I say, so what's happening? What would you love to be happening a year from now today? Oh, well, I would really love to be in school. I would really love to be in school. Well, you seem like a person who likes people to keep you accountable. So I'm happy to do that. What's going on? Come back on the show and tell us what, what you've been up okay. to. Okay. I'll take the challenge. <laughs> liked what you heard today, please give us a positive five-star review and subscribe and tell your friends. I Survived Theater School is an undeniable ink production. Jen Bosworth Ramirez and Gina Polici are the co-hosts. This episode was produced, edited, and sound mixed by Gina Polici. For more information about this podcast or other goings-on of Undeniable Ink, please visit our website at undeniablewriters.com. You can also follow us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. Thank you.